Hey folks, this is Tom Salami. Welcome back to the MedTech Talk podcast number 118. Thanks for joining us. I apologize for the uh, little hiatus we took over the past month with the MedTech Talks. Uh, Healthogy, the company that produces the MedTech Talk podcast and the MedTech Conference, which is happening on May 30th in Minneapolis, is uh, we're primarily an events company. And uh, we had a few big events that uh, sort of took center stage of our lives. But uh, now we're back. I'm actually in the midst of planning the MedTech Conference, which are with our co-chairs, Kirk Nielsen and Leslie Trigg. We had a uh, kickoff meeting in Minneapolis last week, which went really, really well. We're very excited about the program. And we'll be releasing details to you over the coming weeks. So uh, make sure you go to medtechconference.com to check things out. Or you can, of course, sign up for our MedTech Conference newsletter. We're going to be sending out the newsletter once a month. It'll feature guests from the podcast, but also program updates and other um, other news related to MedTech and the MedTech Conference. Going forward, we're going to change our MedTech Talk podcast schedule just a bit. We're going to uh, release a new one. Every other week, uh, that seems like a good good clip from the feedback we're getting and, and from what we're seeing in the numbers. So, I think that uh, I think that's going to work for us. If you have some thoughts on this, let me know. Please reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at MedTechTom. You can also email me. My email is Tom at Healthogy.com. And the word Healthogy is spelled like the word health, followed by the letters E G Y. So let's get into our guest today. Our guest today is none other than Scott Whitaker. He is the CEO of AdvaMed. Advamed, of course, is uh, known, I think, to every one of you. And if it's not, uh, it will be now because you're listening to this podcast. Uh, Scott came to Advamed uh, from bio and uh, prior to that, spent some time uh, working uh, on Capitol Hill. He's got an interesting story to tell. Uh, he, of course, being a, uh, a resident and uh, someone who's worked on D.C. For, for two decades or so, uh, close to two decades, has some thoughts on uh, on the midterms and what it, they mean for MedTech. And we'll talk a bit about uh, some other programs that AdvaMed is uh, pushing forth, primarily to help uh, smaller companies. But it was a good, good MedTech talk with uh, Scott Whitaker of AdvaMed. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Before I let you go, though, don't forget the MedTech conference, our MedTech conference. is happening on May 30th in Minneapolis. Go to medtechconference.com. For more information, you can register now. Registration is open. Now let's hear from Scott Whitaker, CEO of AdvaMed. Well, Scott Whitaker, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. Excellent. Well, I was looking, doing my diligence on uh, on LinkedIn, and I was uh, surprised to see that uh, you and I share uh, college uh, college years. You were started in 87, graduated in 91. So that was a good time to be in college, wasn't it, Scott? It was a good time. Uh, it was a long time ago. <laughs> I, look, I look back on, I can't imagine college now. I've got a son that's in college today and uh, how much easier he has it than we did, I think. That's right. Back then, we didn't even have windows in our dorms. We roughed it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and I was surprised that 80s fashion has come back. I never thought that would happen. So uh, that's true. That's a that's a great point. <laughs> so let's follow, just uh, get into your your career a bit. How did you find your way uh, into med tech and into healthcare? You actually came through uh, well, your first your first jobs. It seems came through the government end. But but what happened in between graduating '91 and uh, and working in the government in the early 2000s? So I, I actually came uh, to Washington in 1991, so right after college. Uh, it was my first job uh, out of college. I worked on 
the Hill on the Senate side, or a senator from Oklahoma, uh, his name was Don Nichols. Um, I had interned in his office uh, while I was in school. And uh, then when I finished, they had a job opening and got a call and said, you interested in coming back? And I said, absolutely. So I headed to D.C. and started at the bottom of that office. And uh, over the course of about 10 years, worked my way through a number of jobs uh, with him. Um, and that's where I was first introduced to the healthcare issues uh, from the government's perspective, primarily. Um, and working for him, he gave me the opportunity to work on the the Clinton Health Care Reform Initiative, which really dates me, Tom. Uh, but uh, that was my first foray into the national health care conversation. And then I stayed uh, in the Senate uh, for another uh, eight years beyond the or seven years beyond the 93 debate. Um, um, and then Don Nichols became the assistant leader of the Senate, assistant majority leader. And I went with him and ran health care policy for him over there. So. Um, and following my time in the Senate, um, I jumped into the administration with the election of George W. Bush and was Assistant Secretary for Legislation at HHS for two years and Chief of Staff for the last two years, uh, which would have been a half of 2003 through part of 2005, uh, which was an amazing time to be in government. Um, one of the I worked on a lot of things during my time there, but one of the biggest ones was the Medicare Part D uh, legislation, uh, working through that on the Hill and then the implementation, the first phase of implementation of it at HHS as well. Um, then I left there and went to bio for 10 years. And from bio, I came back uh, to the med tech uh, industry that I'd worked with on the Hill indirectly. And then actually, um, when I was at HHS, worked with uh, AdvaMed, then HEMA, on a number of initiatives as well. So I knew the industry and had friends in the industry. So I was excited about the opportunity to reconnect with that issue set and an industry that I've always been amazed by and proud of. And so, and now I've been here for about two and a half years and that that's my journey to MedTech. There you go. What were your plans uh, going to DC in 91? This was pre West Wing. So you, you weren't seeing yourself as a young Sam Seaborn. Uh, were you, uh, did you have public service in your mind? Did you have running for public office? What, uh, what brought you to D.C.? To be completely honest with you, I wish the answer was better than this. I was just looking for an interesting job. Um, you know, 21-year-old uh, guy and I uh, played basketball in college and played poorly, so I realized I needed to do something else. And um, my internship in D.C. Uh, introduced me to public policy, and I was intrigued by politics and intrigued by public policy. And so when this opportunity came up, I thought this may be an interesting career path. Um, I didn't necessarily assume I'd be here for 25 years, uh, but nonetheless, it was a it's a really interesting opportunity for a senator who was kind of a rising star. He was a young senator um, and a very active senator, and I was intrigued by that too. So I, I was fortunate to get that job and kind of rode him, uh, rode along with him um, up the leadership ladder. And so um, it was uh, somewhat planned and somewhat accidental, the ride I had in the Senate, and one thing led to the next. So it's it's been a, an amazing journey in D.C. Interesting. Let's talk about the transition from from bio to uh, to AdvaMed. What, uh, how would you compare the, the two organizations, and, and do you see bio as, as a model for, for AdvaMed? 
to some degree. I mean, the, the industries have some similarities, but the technologies are completely different. Uh, you know this, obviously, as well as anyone. I think uh, from an organizational standpoint, one of the things that's very similar to AdvoMed and Bio is at Bio, we represented all aspects of the biotechnology, pharma, pharmaceutical biotechnology industry. We had the largest uh, companies that were members at Bio. Uh, largest pharma companies, but we also had these very small startups with innovative technologies that they were trying to bring to market and trying to understand the path of how do we get this great idea with some really neat science that we might have developed in our garage lab. How do we get it through the process, introduce it uh, to the FDA, uh, perhaps introduce it to larger companies who might be interested in it through acquisition, um, and then eventually bring it to market and get paid for it. And uh, at AdvoMed, we do the same thing. We represent the very, very small companies in MedTech, and we re represent the large companies in MedTech, and we represent everyone in between. So they're very similar in that respect. Uh, the technologies themselves, however, as you know, are, are very different. The timelines for approval are different. The patent laws around them are different. The IP protections are different. And then the FDA regulatory process obviously is very different as well. So while the organizations have some things in common, uh, the technologies in many ways are treating health conditions that folks are suffering from, but in very different ways. And um, I, I enjoyed bio and the biotech industry. I, I must admit, I'm, I'm more fascinated by uh, the medtech industry and the impact that medtech companies are having on people's lives. Uh, often not fully appreciated or understood how we in, impact uh, healthcare in this country. And and I love telling that story. And medtech people are just nicer and cooler, right? Just way nicer, easier to talk to. Much more <laughs> yeah. How long should I go on about that? <laughs> as long as you need. We're on a podcast. There's no no clock. Uh, so what are some of the uh, the priorities that coming into AdvoMed that you wanted to uh, to institute briefly? Because I want to get into some of the uh, the efforts that you actually have underway. Right. So I, I put it in the, uh, two primary buckets and a third one. Um, first is the regulatory system, uh, improving the regulatory environment so our companies uh, better understand how to move a product through the FDA uh, to approval. The second is the payment environment. So our companies also better understand what the payment models look like, what it, what's required to get your product reimbursed and then get it into the marketplace so patients benefit from it. So um, in those two large buckets, there's a host of smaller issues. And then the, the third issue where we've been focused, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, is the issue around uh, the device tax and trying to get that fully repealed so companies can get back to doing the job of innovating and creating creating jobs. Um, and there are a whole host of other things that we're doing globally as well. Um, and and with the new administration, there have been some changes in the way we approach those issues. Uh, but that that's still the primary core set of policy issues that we're focused on right now. Hey, everyone, Tom here. Going to take a quick break from this conversation with Scott Whitaker to uh, just tell you what else, I'll, what else I am up to. In addition to working with the MedTech Conference and, of course, putting out the MedTech Talk podcast, we're also working on our second Respiratory Innovation Summit, which is happening on May 17th. That is in Dallas. It's actually connected to the American Thoracic Society's annual meeting. If you go to attendris.com, 
can see what we did last year. We have a, a great promotional video uh, talking to uh, some of the attendees and participants of last year's event. It uh, was a really great first event. It's going to be an even better second event. Uh, we are getting a lot of uh, a lot of um, support from ATS. We're very grateful for that, and a lot of enthusiasm about the respiratory space. So, if you are in the respiratory space, check out attendris.com for more information. And, and while you're uh, checking out Healthogy events, if you're uh, focused on the aesthetic space, you should also be t- looking at the Aesthetics Innovation Summit, which is happening just two days earlier on May 15th. Go to attendais.com for information on that event. Now let's get back into this conversation with Scott Whitaker of Advomet. Let's talk a bit about the, uh, you, I mean, you're, you're now, I think, my, my political go-to expert since you've been in D.C. for, for so long. We obviously had uh, a lot of change uh, last week in the midterms. What are you telling people who are asking you? What does uh, this new uh, arrangement mean for the med tech industry with the Democrats in charge of the House and the, the Senate being more in the on the GP uh, side of the ledger? Yeah, you know, honestly, for the med tech in- industry specifically, I'm not sure it's a major change. I mean, it's a different set of people that we need to deal with. Um, there will be a different set of priorities coming out of the committees on the House side. But when you look at our issue set, uh, with exception of device tax, where Republicans, we tend to have stronger support for full repeal uh, than we get from Democrats. Uh, it's not it's not necessarily a partisan set of issues. When you look at FDA reforms, using Medufa as an example, that's always an over, overwhelmingly bipartisan initiative. When you look at, at payment reforms and some of the things we're working on with CMS, that's just really kind of good government. How do you make the government work better for industry that's trying to get products to patients? And so we, I don't think you'll see a major change in the issue set that we're dealing with. Obviously, Republicans look at things slightly differently uh, sometimes, and Democrats have a slightly different take. But our big issues have always had broad uh, bipartisan support on the whole. And then you have smaller issues that we deal with inside those buckets. So um, I don't expect a, a huge change for us. I will say, if you look at Congress globally and you have a Democrat-controlled House and a Republican-controlled Senate and a president operating the way this president operates, it it does set up for, I would say, even more uh, gridlock than you might have seen uh, in previous years. Uh, I think it's going to be hard for them to get major pieces of legislation done uh, just because the sides are so far apart on, on big issues right now. Uh, I hope I'm wrong about that. Um, and there will be progress, I'm sure. But for two years, I wouldn't expect any sort of major uh, legislation that's transformative. So where does, you mentioned this a few minutes ago, the device tax, where does this fall in terms of, of major or minor? Because you're right, it, it the MedTech tends to, to draw bipartisan support. You look at Minneapolis, look at Boston, Democratic strongholds, got supportive legislators there. Yet, here we are, what, closing in on 10 years of this tax, and it's been hard to to, to turn the tables on, on this one. What is uh, what is holding things up? So I would say I would say two things about that. One, the one thing that's clear on, a po- on the positive side is it feels like now, Tom, that the policy itself is settled, that we have very few people who argue 
that devi the device tax as the way it's currently structured is good tax policy or good healthcare policy. We've sort of won that argument now, right? Um, and you saw that with the House vote that we had uh, earlier this year, where you had overwhelming bipartisan support. We were somewhere around 350 votes for it. So um, clearly uh, uh, that has changed. Um, the biggest challenge we face right now is more of a process question rather than a policy question. And um, because the device tax was included in the ACA, the politics of ACA oftentimes get in the way of full repeal, right? So there are other issues that they're debating where the device tax might be a part of that. There may be legislation moving, and while the device tax is part of it, some can't support the broader package because of other provisions that are in it. Um, and that's become the biggest challenge for us right now. If we were able to get a standalone vote in the Senate, and we're still working on that, I suspect we get 65 or 70 votes. But uh, you just don't get standalone votes in the Senate on legislation anymore, unfortunately. It's not the way the system is currently operating. Um, and so we're going to spend a, um, a lot of time and some capital, I think, in the final quarter of this year, the last month of this year, the lame duck session, trying to make sure that whatever moves, because something will move at the end of the year to fully fund the government and move it into the next fiscal year, um, that the device tax issue is part of that package, whether it's a short-term uh, suspension that goes beyond next year, or if it's a hopefully a full repeal, I think we'll be a part of that conversation. Um, and I'm hopeful that uh, I'm hopeful that it's not so political that uh, the other issues, I should say, aren't so political that people uh, have a hard time coming to agreement. So uh, we're working hard on that. I, I feel. It's always a long shot when you're dealing in a lame duck session, but I feel pretty good about how we're positioning this issue right now. Do you, do you feel the membership is still pushing as hard for the repeal of this device tax as they have been, or, or is this something that they've just grown accustomed to and have built into all their business models and now just expect to pay? No, I, I think they're continuing to push hard for it. I think if we don't get full repeal in the next couple of years, I think it may become more of part of your business planning. Um, uh, but right now, I think uh, folks feel like a good hard push at the end of this year may bring us the certainty that we need. And so um, I've found that our companies are united around that effort. Uh, and then we'll we'll deal with what we have to deal with if uh, Congress is unable to do its work. You mentioned also earlier on the, the FDA or at least regulatory issues, which I assume you meant the FDA. Um, in, in conversations we've had and, and, and on this podcast and, and planning for our, our uh, MedTech conference, uh, the FDA really seems to be less of a, much less of an issue than it was a few years ago, much less of a concern. What's your assessment of, of the FDA uh, and its handling of, uh, of MedTech uh, applications? So I agree with that assessment, and uh, I think there are a few reasons for that. One, I think there's been a cultural change inside the FDA, and I, I would credit uh, – Jeff Sheeran for a lot of that. Um, um, it feels to me like what the FDA now understands is that a, a clear and transparent process at FDA is a priority to them. Uh, and as a result of that being a priority to them, it makes it easier for our companies to move their products uh, through the pipeline to approval. Um, I have often said, while we want products to get through the FDA approval process quickly, speed is not the important, the most important issue to us, right? It's just understanding 
what the process look lo looks like, what the timelines are exactly, what type of information that the FDA needs in order to make informed decisions, and then what the timeline is for those decisions. And that's where I've seen the most improvement uh, from the FDA. It's certainly not universal. You're, you'll have some companies who experience uh, challenges. Um, anytime a company gets outside of the normal CDRH process and might get uh, in a, a combination products uh, situation, it gets a little more complicated uh, just because of the technologies. But, but by and large, as I look at it globally, I have found that the process improvements um, have been very constructive for the industry. And I would argue as a result of that, very good for patients as well. Um, it, uh, it feels like to me the FDA looks at our industry and tries to better understand how we can get to an answer as opposed to how they can create hurdles so that we can't get to an answer. Um, and the answer is not, Tom, always going to be yes, right? And, and, uh, and we're not necessarily saying the answer needs to always be yes. We're just saying that we need to have clarity on what the answer is because the certainty is so important, whether it's for the company itself or the investors that are funding the efforts to get a product uh, approved and into the marketplace. That, that certainty is just critical. Um, and it's important to our companies. And if you look at it globally, it's important to the economy as well, right? When you have some certainty around what a process looks like, you can make the right investment decisions, you can make the right hiring decisions, and you can have stability inside your companies. And that's a really important thing. So I applaud them uh, and the work that they have done. I, I wouldn't say it's perfect. It's far from perfect, but that's, that's the way uh, regulatory uh, offices work, and that's fine. Um, but I think we know how to work together, and I think that's important. Public-private partnerships are really important. Good government is really important, and I think we're starting to see tremendous improvement there. Is, is the tone, you, you've spent 10 years at Bio, is the tone of uh, the dialogue between the FDA and the medtech industry different than the FDA in the biopharma industry? It's different. Uh but but not not dramatically different. I, I think uh, the biospace is, is more challenging in some respects, right? The extensive nature of the work that needs to be done pre-approval is just different uh, than in the medtech space because of the technology itself. Um, but I think if you look at the legislation that sort of drives the approval process now, uh, on our side, it's Medufa. On the pharmaceutical and biotech side, it's Padufa. Um, if you look at those two laws and how they've evolved over the course of the last 15 or 20 years, the point of those uh, laws is to ensure that there's collaboration between private industry and the public regulators. And I think in both cases, they've worked well. They have different leaders at the top who set different priorities, whether it's uh, you know CDRH or uh, our CEDAR um, or CBER on the biologic side. Uh, each of those leaders have sort of a different approach because of the technologies they're regulating. Um, but I think the overall philosophy has been consistent. And I think uh, that's an important uh, process improvement for the FDA and for industry as well. You mentioned also earlier, and we'll get into the other big R, reimbursement. What what can AdvoMed do to to assist in this space? Because this is a different structure than 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 pharma. How can you 
support med tech and, uh, and, and I guess advocate for level payments or, or higher payments for, for med, new med tech products. So, so um, on the payment side, it's in many ways similar to what we've been trying to do on the regulatory side. And uh, you'll hear similar language from me. Uh, when you're dealing with public payers first, it is transparency, consistency, and complete understanding of what the path toward um, coverage looks like. Um, and right now, when you're dealing with CMS, it's not as clear and transparent as the FDA process is. So what we've been working on with CMS is to help improve that process so that we have a better understanding of what it takes to get to yes um, or what it takes to get to coverage in some form or fashion. And then you have beyond coverage, you have the, the payment and coding issues that you have to deal with as well. So um, in many ways, it's similar. They're very different agencies, though, right? I mean, CMS looks at things oftentimes from a budget standpoint first as opposed to a patient standpoint first. And I think FDA uh, looks at things from a safety and effectiveness standpoint, but more of a patient-centric approach. And CMS would benefit, I think, from having a more patient-centric viewpoint um, than they they have historically. Um, but but honestly, I'm starting to see that in my conversations with them that they're evolving on that question too. I think in a in a positive direction. So um, I've been pleased actually with the new leadership at CMS under SEMA. Um, and the team that she's assembled around her, they're, uh, they're, they're very willing to listen and have conversations to try to understand better how the process can be approved. Not always to get to yes, but at least to improve the process so it's, it's more predictable for us. So what does that look like? How does that benefit MedTech in the, in the coming year? Do you, see, uh, do you see higher payments coming up for individual products or do you see just a wider approvals for uh, for new med tech devices? Right. There, there's a couple areas we're focused on. One, in the short term, we're looking at breakthrough devices. Um, so if you look back at the 21st Century Cures Law that was passed, there was a provision that was included that allowed a special pathway for breakthrough products to get through the FDA. Once they were designated breakthrough, they had a clear pathway uh, to get to approval, safe and effective. And uh, those are unique products that need to be treated uniquely as a result of it. So what we're working on with CMS now is to create a similar pathway at CMS. So if a product is a, is, um, is uh, a breakthrough designated a breakthrough product at FDA, once it gets through that process, what we're saying to CMS is let's also give it a breakthrough designation and allow those products to get into the market at least on a temporary basis so we can begin developing and establishing the evidence that's necessary to keep it on the market for a long period of time. If it's a breakthrough product, there's clearly a medical need for it, right? And because of FDA's designation, it means there's a clear medical need for it. So our case to CMS is Let's work with FDA to assume that that is the case and then get this product to patients in the Medicare Medicaid program uh, so we can begin to establish the evidence necessary to reimburse it at the right level. Um, the problem we've had in recent years is the valley of death, the big gap in coverage, even with breakthrough products that'll make their way quickly through the FDA in a clear and transparent way. And then we'll sit for a year, two years or three years before we have certainty on what CMS uh, is going to do about it. And 
And that kills companies, particularly small and mid-sized companies who are relying on investors to continue to fund their product as they move it through the process. Back to this same concept, it's the predictability that we need and the certainty that companies need. And that's what we're asking the CMS to help us with, whether it's breakthrough products, which is just one phase of it, or new and novel products that aren't necessarily breakthrough products, help us find a pathway to coverage, right? And if we need to establish an evidence development standard to prove the value of that technology to the market that we're serving, then let us know what we did, we need to do. And we can agree upon evidence development over a course of a two or three year period of time, and then establish at that point what a reimbursement uh, payment uh, and coding system should look like. Uh, but it's very hard to do that if you won't let us get access to the market with products that FDA has already established are safe and effective. And that's the case we're making to CMS. And, and honestly, I think they've, uh, they've taken it seriously and are listening. And I'm hopeful early, early next year, we may see some regulatory improvements along those lines. What are some other improvements that, that we'll see? We're talking broadly about reimbursement regulatory, but, but let's drill down a little bit. I mean, we've, we're hearing a lot of conversations about um, devices used for uh, opioid recovery and some of the efforts there. Uh, talk a little bit about that effort. And are there other sort of more focused uh, um, developments there uh, going on that might benefit smaller companies that perhaps just have one product in, in, in one particular area? Yeah, so the opi opioids is a good example. I think the legislation that Congress passed was a was a nice start in the right direction. And I think what, to oversimplify it, what they did was essentially uh, create a, um, uh, an urgency, if you will, for non-opioid therapies and alternatives to be approved by CMS and covered by CMS. And I think that's a very good thing. I think oftentimes in the past, folks have just focused on pain treatment from a pill standpoint, right? And through this process, uh, Congress has and CMS has recognized that the other there are other alternatives to opioids that need to be explored here. So uh, educating doctors and then improving the payment system so there's incentives around providing other forms of pain treatment are, are very important. Now, it's very early. We'll see how it works. The legislation just passed, uh, but we're hopeful that they'll take those uh, non-opioid pain therapy products more seriously because they are really, really effective. I think with the small companies, uh, regardless of what area you're in, what technology space you're in, I think the evidence development changes that I was talking about earlier and then the breakthrough pathways uh, uh, project that I was talking about earlier, both of those really impact the small companies because the small companies are the ones that tend to come out with those new novel breakthrough technologies um, that need a little help in getting into the marketplace. If you, When you talk to investors, right, what they'll say consistently is, we really understand the pathway at FDA right now, um, but we don't really understand the pathway at CMS. And for the smallest companies, they need that certainty on the payment side in order to get that product to the next level. Um, and, and that's what we're focused on with them. Um, and uh, the folks who, uh, who are investors in the smaller companies say that's probably the biggest process improvement uh, you can make to really help these small companies move these products along. And just final question, I know you need to go, but uh, just stay on the smaller companies since I think they, they make up the bulk of our, our listeners. 
What other efforts does Abdomen have underway right now that uh, are really trying to uh, to benefit the smaller companies? What programs should they know about that have just come out or, or perhaps are coming out soon? So, so I would say for for every company that's a small company, um, we would love to have them a part of the Abdomen family. A few years ago, we created a uh, a separate sector of Advamed called Advamed Excel, which is just focused on small company needs. There are two aspects of that, I think, that are important. Um, in a trade association the size of ours, where you have companies sort of across the board in every aspect of technology looking for partners to work with, right? And being a part of Advamed exposes you to investors and other companies who are working in your space and you can collaborate with them. Uh, and it's a really, really important part of what we do. You know, about about 65, 67% of our members, I think, are small companies. Um, and we want to make sure all of them feel feel a place uh, that, that they're at home here. So, um, and then the second thing in, in a general sense that we're working on is uh, innovative policies around uh, a tax policy for small companies to help them survive the difficulty of taking a small tech, small technology and moving it through the process. And so tax treatment uh, is an important part of what we do for our small companies. And I would say to our small companies, if you join Advomed and participate in Advomed Excel and begin to have the conversation around what tax policy looks like, what reimbursement policy looks like, and regulatory policy, I think we can help you a lot. And then the last thing I would say for small companies, if you're very early stage and you're trying to better understand the FDA regulatory process, all of our small companies have access to our regulatory experts here as well. And I've had a number of companies who have used the advice that our regulatory experts have given them to uh, help and improve the process to get through the FDA approval process. And, and so that's a huge benefit, uh, I think, to our small companies as well. So we, we, uh, we're proud of the fact that the overwhelming majority of our companies are small, and we hope to continue to grow that because I think the future of innovation comes in many, many ways from the smallest companies that are, that are innovating right now. All right. Well, it's a pleasure to have you uh on the uh, on the program scott thanks for uh, taking some time and uh, look forward to uh, reconnecting in the future uh, thank you tom and thanks for all you do for the industry we appreciate it well that is a wrap thank you so much medtech talk podcast listeners for joining us for the support of the podcast the uh, the listener numbers have been uh, fantastic it's uh, very gratifying for me someone who's covered medtech for uh, a little bit to uh, really have the support of the community. So I really do appreciate your support. I really do want to hear uh, your thoughts on our change of schedule. Uh, so please, we're going to be, again, delivering new podcasts to you, new MedTech Talk podcast to you every other week. Uh, so if uh, you have thoughts on that, please do reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at MedTechTom. You can email me, tom at healthag.com. I want to uh, understand your thoughts on that change. Once again, we will be delivering to you a uh, MedTech Talk, a MedTech Conference newsletter at the end of every month with information about our podcast guests, information about MedTech, and of course, uh, updates about the MedTech Conference, which is happening on May 30th in Minneapolis. Our co-chairs, Leslie Trigg and Kirk Nielsen. Leslie, of course, of Outset, Kirk Nielsen of Versant, are uh, working hard to put together a, a really innovative new agenda 
And uh, again, we had our kickoff meeting last week in Minneapolis, and there was a lot of enthusiasm there. So I am uh, I am enthused, as always, about the MedTech Conference, but exceptionally enthused about uh, what's coming up on May 30th. I think it'll be a really, really great event. That's it. It's a lot of talk for me. Thanks again for your time. Don't forget to tune in next time for another great tale of innovation on the MedTech Talk podcast.